Hey, welcome to Founders Field Notes, a podcast where you can learn from founders how to be founders. I'm Jason Klug, founder and CEO of Klugonics Group. So this is a new thing for us, this episode. We had to break it into two parts. The guest was Kirk Wilmette. He is quite the entrepreneur. As we talked, we realized there's pretty much like two parts of his founding story. You know, he's got his developmental side of being a founder and all the little side hustles and the FBI getting involved type founding. You know, there's the company called Scan, which he founded with his buddy Garrett G that they sold for a fat chunk of change to Snapchat, where he got to work and be there for quite some time. He has a new project that him and I have been working on together, which has been absolutely incredible for me to work and collaborate with such an experienced founder. And I've thoroughly enjoyed it, you know, to watch how his mind works and how he makes decisions and how he builds this very collaborative environment. This has been a great episode talking to him. So we're splitting into two parts. He didn't want to cut any of it out, you know, and we also didn't want to make a two and a half hour long episode. So check it out. So we're going to go way back. Okay. Oh, you have an agenda for us today? A little bit. Yeah. High level, but we got to go like childhood level. Oh my gosh. And, and, and the reason why is because it sounds like you're, you have roots from an entrepreneurial family. Oh, okay. Is that right? Are you talking about the Wimetoscope? I mean, your parents, right? Is yeah. your dad an entrepreneur? Your mom an entrepreneur? My mom is not. Software? A, uh, my dad has always, like, he's been, my dad has always been working in software. Mm-hmm. And then he's always, like, found his own way. And so I remember he was always changing jobs. And, but he uh, he's started his own companies, but he's usually typically worked for somebody. But now he's retired, and I, I challenged him after he retired um, to do something, like, to still do something. Mm-hmm. And he went out and got his real estate license, and then oh. he sold my house this summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And okay. so, but... Being a real estate agent, no matter what, is entrepreneurial, Yeah, I feel like. You yeah. know what I mean? Because you have to grind on your own, pretty much. Yeah. It's like every human for themselves. Yeah. So that, that's good. But right. My dad always talks about, so in our family history, like I come from a long line of blacksmiths. They all moved to Canada and there was uh, one, one of the first Wemets who came to Canada. He created this thing called the Wemetoscope. Okay. And the Wemetoscope was the first uh, projection theater. Wow. Yeah. So is and, this the, the, of the horse galloping? Uh, so it's, it's, uh, well, it was, it took that technology and mm-hmm. it put it into a theater for people to come and watch. Yeah. My dad is always like referencing and citing that as like, um, being something really cool that our family has participated in and done. That's incredible. And I think there's still the original Wemetoscope, which is that, which is taking that and projecting it onto a theater screen. Yeah. I think there was some tragic stuff with a theater burning down. Yeah. And the Wemetoscope then. I feel like I've seen <laughs> clip or videos or something about that. Because I've, yeah, it's I've on been to theaters that have, or not theaters, uh, museums that have like, you know, like the old town, you know, where they replicate an old town and you walk in, there's like a little theater and it's yeah. like the... You hear the thing in the back, like da 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 da. Yeah, it's like yeah. projecting yeah, the shutters. That's neat, dude. Yeah. The the thing that that I heard from some of your friends, yeah, is that you you were a hacker from an early age. Are you is want it, me to confess my sins? 
maybe, maybe. I mean, it's it's interesting because I like a lot of the entrepreneurs I've talked to. Some of them, like me, my family was not entrepreneurial. They're yeah. very risk adverse. Same with um, Earl, who I interviewed the other day. Very risk adverse, yeah. right? And you know, at an early age, I feel like the 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 symptoms of me being an entrepreneur or just being completely opposite of my, my parents being a little more punk rock skater boy, you know, quitting the baseball season halfway through type thing, you know? And it's, it's always interesting to know like people that come from that, where they have this mold that they're being raised in and they have to break out of it. And it's always interesting to hear is, is, you know, do entrepreneurs like breed entrepreneurs or do, you know, entrepreneurs come sometimes out of, you know, a form, a form yeah. that, that they're raised in and then they have to break out of that form. And when does that happen? Yeah. I think that my dad, um, if I were to describe one of his main character traits, it would be a problem solver. Mm. And so I can throw at any, I can call my dad at any time and I can throw a problem at him mm-hmm. and he will immediately start to break it down and, and figure out a way to solve it. And, He's very technical. Yeah. And then I think that I inherited that from him. And, um, you know, when you're, especially when you're in college uh, or university, you're wondering like, how am I going to, the path is like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go work for somebody? Am I going to build something on my own? And uh, I took a class. Uh, there was like an adjunct or visiting professor, Josh Coates. And mm-hmm. Josh Coates has been one of my mentors since I was, since I took his class. And I'm still in contact with him. I'm seeing him That's next cool. week. And he started a company called Mosey, uh, which was a uh, cloud backup. It was like you run, it runs in the Windows tray and it backs up all your files, like kind mm-hmm. of before Dropbox. Mm-hmm. And then he sold that. And then after that, he created, uh, with some students from this class, a company called Instructure, huh. uh, which is now yeah, yeah. a publicly traded company. Wow. Yeah. And That's so, incredible. Yeah. So Josh was like, there He's... is a pattern and a proven path to raising capital and selling companies, mm-hmm. and it's formulaic. Mm-hmm. And so well, oftentimes when you think about creating a company, you're like, uh, if you have no experience in the space, you're like, where do I even start? How do I yep. begin? Mm-hmm. And then to have someone like a coach effectively be like, this is every single step on how to do it. Mm-hmm. Here's what it means to get a term sheet. Here's how you negotiate a term sheet. Here's the value or uh, uh, in patents. Here's how you should approach and manage your lawyers. Here's mm-hmm. like uh, having that uh, taught in a class was basically the most valuable class I ever had. Yeah. And that's incredible. Yeah. So I messaged him. Uh, a few weeks ago for this new company that we're doing together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, hey, the last time you, I took your class, you taught me how to um, build a venture-backed company. And three and a half years after we started, we sold it for $54 million. Mm-hmm. And then and this was Scan. And this was Scan. And then yeah. I, I messaged him and I'm like, I want to create a $10 billion company. Mm-hmm. And I, you've already, you've, you're already in that sphere now, but I need to come back for another lesson. That's great. Yeah. And then he was like, let's get lunch. That's so. awesome. I, I mean, I, you know, Scott's like my mentor. Yeah. I, the formula I learned from Scott was a bit different than the formula I, I, I have to learn now, except for the fact that he taught me, I, I did learn the B2B side of things yeah. from him, you know, but the consumer product side of things, I kind of had to figure that out trial and error, but yeah. I agree. It's, that's the, the formula that I've become specialized in is the, the, 
like the direct to consumer consumer product space yeah. in creating brands and stuff. And I totally agree. Yeah. So when I look at it like an investment opportunity, you look and see how in that list of things that they need, how many of the boxes have they checked to where they're at and what gaps they're missing at, and as an investor, yeah. can I go in and fill that gap for them? And then it's a good investment, right? Yeah. Or are there, are they talking about how they're going to fill that gap? Yeah. And they know they're aware of it and that they're moving forward and going to figure out how to fill it. You know, I think with, when I think about Scott and I mean, I love, I love the history that you have with him in the first company, Armor Active. Even though you thought I was a total asshole <clears throat> to him at first. <laughs> when you got to know that that's just normal for us. I feel like Scott's method is like the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park mm -hmm. where they basically jump at the electrified fence mm -hmm. at all these different angles. Uh -huh. I think that there's, <laughs> yeah. there's no formula being followed. Yeah. There's, it's just I like, I'm going to jump at the fences. And as soon as the electricity's off, I'm busting out. Yeah. And, and then I think that the Josh Coates approach to entrepreneurship is more surgical. Mm -hmm. Like here's a, here is like a very clean path. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited to partner with Scott because I get the Velociraptor energy, mm -hmm. but then he, he, from me, he gets the surgical precision. I think that those two things combined is what make it work. Yeah. I, I, and that's where I'm kind of a little bit of both. Yeah. I feel like at the first I was too much like Scott and I didn't have enough of the surgical supporting me yeah. and I had to learn the surgical side of it. And my, like my wife was a big part of that yeah. because that's how she is. She's very yeah. like, well, Tactical. Re ready, aim, fire. Let's yeah. make sure we got this. What about this? What about this? And then, yeah. you know, so I learned that with Durai and then now if I, I try to surround myself with those surgical mindsets yeah. and I'm a little bit surgical myself, but yeah, yeah I think that's a that's a great balance. So when I meet with Josh, a $10 billion business, of course. when I meet with Josh, I'm going to say, what are the set of principles that uh, differentiate a company that's worth a hundred million dollars mm -hmm. and a company that's worth 10 billion. Mm. And my intuition tells me that there's going to be a lot of overlapping. Um, but then I also think that there's going to be some really strong differentiating features between a company that can grow from that scale up mm -hmm. to up to 10 billion. Yeah. And then I want to identify what those are and then be surgical about it and mm -hmm. then let Scott jump at the fences along the way yeah. and create all the serendipity that he does. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's funny cuz that part of that one of those fences is you guys were in a meeting with my competitor. Yeah. And I'm texting Scott like, "Why the hell are you in a meeting with my competitor right now?" Yeah. And then thankfully you guys came over and we met again and Yeah. Re, you know, shifted, shifted that direction, got to work together. Yeah, so I'm yeah. very happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. But, that was a fun meeting Yeah, where Scott has, he just has no filter and he was like, what makes you better than everyone else? And <laughs> like, you guys are a dime a dozen. It's like, all right, well, let's be nice here, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder why they never gave you a proposal. <laughs> so then you have a, do you have a software background then? Is that right? You're hacker? Yeah. So like, or? if we want to talk a little bit about my dad more, which is yeah. fun. When I was like 13 years years old. My dad had got me a computer and back in the day, like the computer that he got me was an NEC, like 133 megahertz NEC. Celeron Intel processor. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, like just a really old, at the time it was cutting edge. I think he spent five or $8,000. Oh, wow. On it. Like yeah, it yeah. was like expensive. Yeah. It's like loaded for yeah. back then. Yeah. And I, ha I was learning about this idea of how computers have open ports. And I thought that was interesting that every computer could be connected to every other computer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
one of the common things that was happening at that era of the internet was file sharing over FTP, which is this file transfer protocol. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you wanted to, if I wanted to share stuff that I had downloaded to you, I would uh, install an FTP server, mm -hmm. uh, which would open on port 21. And then I would share a portion of my hard drive. And as long as my computer was on and the internet was connected, you could connect to me and download whatever I had. Yeah. And that was the original, one yeah. of the original forms of file sharing. So I wrote a script that would scan every IP address on the Comcast network. Mm -hmm. And what it would do is it would just connect to it, uh, to the IP address, and then see if port 21 was open. Mm -hmm. And if port 21 was open uh, with anonymous credentials that would let you log in, then I would log that and say, that's an open computer that I can connect to. What? So Wait, you, they didn't even have YouTube back then how did you learn to oh, do this oh it's just like you just you're just tinkering you know wow. and so yeah so i let the script run overnight and when i wake up i'd scanned like 1.5 million ip addresses and i had a <laughs> list of 40 computers that were open okay. and available and then i just started logging into their computers yeah and so the first computer that i logged into i'm like browsing around and i go to like the my documents pictures and i'm like well let's see who we have here so i start downloading their family photos <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like who and i was like just start downloading stuff off of their computer i'm like why would they have port 21 open and their entire hard drive open. And so I'm downloading stuff and connecting to them and just being like, this is interesting. Other computers are open um, and I can see all their files. And then uh, I come home from school the next day and the internet's disconnected. And my dad plays a voicemail on the phone and it's like, hi, this is Comcast. Uh, we've uh, determined that malicious activity has come from your internet connection. You've engaged in wide-scale port scanning and your uh, internet connection is uh, permanently disabled and your account is canceled. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad is freaking awesome. So he calls Comcast up and he's like, there's been a big mistake. We had open Wi-Fi and anyone can connect to our Wi-Fi. And so a hacker must have uh, must have connected yeah. to our Wi-Fi and done this. Yeah. I've changed the password. Yeah. Can you please reinstate our internet? Yeah, there was an old Ford Explorer in front of our house for a few hours the <laughs> other day, and I was wondering what he was doing, and now we know. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for helping us figure that out. <laughs> and then the internet came back on the next day, and my dad was like, never do that again. I'm yeah. like, well, right. that I mean, that's a... So, so that's so you get a taste of what yeah. computers can do. Yeah. So yeah. here's here's what's interesting is then I'm in college mm -hmm. and uh, I was just learning how to code websites mm -hmm. and uh, there's a game called Warcraft 3. Yeah. And if you wanted to be able to play a, war a game of Warcraft 3, you had to open up a port on your uh, computer so that other people could connect to you and play the game. Okay. So I created a website that would let you check if the Warcraft 3 port was open. And uh, oh. that website has been running for about 15 years. And in college, it started generating me about $15,000 a month in ad revenue. Wow, that's awesome. And the reason why is because professionals from all over the world that needed to check if their IP cameras were functioning and accessible mm -hmm. or... Uh, the big thing was people started running Minecraft servers and Minecraft became... Wait, what year were you in college then? What would this have been? When was this like 2008 or something? Oh, so we're similar age then. Yeah, I'm Wait, 38. Oh, yeah. no, you're older than me. Yeah. I was in college in 2007. So this is later in college. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. And um, so I ended up putting up this, like, just check if a port is open on your computer. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then... If people search on the internet, open port checker, my website comes up. And it's still there today. I, I get 30,000 unique visits a day to that website. What? Still. Yeah. 
I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So that's is that like your first company then? Would no, you say? When I initially started working, I, I was working for a company that was a reseller for AutoCAD software. Which one? Like Go Engineer or something like that? The company name is ProSoft. Okay. And uh, so I was I was working for them, and I they were paying me sixteen bucks an hour, and I was um, building computers mm-hmm. from the raw components that we were ordering. And then I was delivering the computers to clients. Okay, so you're making like CAD machines. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yep. Like that beast right there. Yes, yes. Yeah, cool. And then I would go and service them and pick them up and fix them and deliver new ones. And that was my job. And then there was some downtime. And in the downtime, I w- was teaching myself how to program. Mm. And I programmed a website. I had this idea of like... Whenever you build a new computer, you can pick from the default backgrounds mm-hmm. that Windows provides, which is a limited set of images. And I'm like, the green hills. With yes, the blue exactly. Sky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to be able to create a website that was similar to Dig or Reddit, where somebody could upload a picture and people could upvote or downvote it, and it'll be categorized and it'll be just a collection of wallpapers. That's great. Um, and this had already been done, but I was like, I want to do it, and just for the fun of teaching it to mm-hmm. myself. And so I built um, a website called Social Wallpapering. I uploaded it. I like I, I I deployed it to DreamHost, which was my cloud, you know, provider at the time, which was one of the early mm-hmm. before Google Cloud and Amazon and all of that. And uh, I put it up on the internet, and then uh, I put a uh, post on Dig.com, which was the Reddit of the time, mm-hmm. and. Um, I had initially seeded it. I had uploaded like maybe 50 different space wallpapers, mm-hmm. you know, like with backgrounds of like nebulas and all that okay. kind of stuff. Just stuff that I yeah, like. to get the ball rolling. Yeah. Then I got a phone call from DreamHost and they said, uh, your website has taken down a cluster of 300 servers. We need to adjust your cloud plan. And I opened up Google Analytics and I had gotten 2 million page views in like three hours. Wow. Because I didn't understand uh, how viral something could be that's incredible when it's when it's posted so it got well, to back the, then not many people did right yeah yeah so yeah. it got to the front page of dig and then dig just crushed my server wow um with what they would commonly refer to as the hug of death mm-hmm. where you have so many people coming and so yeah. my analytics chart looked like this yeah hockey and then stick. i went from zero daily visitors to and then i was getting millions of page views and then it flattened out at around two million page views a day yeah wow and that's uh, incredible yeah and that was running and I'm like, and I had upgraded the server and I was paying for more compute to be able to handle all the requests coming in. Mm-hmm. And um, I really didn't want to run ads on it. I was like, I was just building it for the fun of it. But I'm like, this is actually going to be expensive. But at the time you're thinking, I could be running ads on this and making money. So you already are thinking like an entrepreneur at that yeah, point? Or were you, did, were you forced it, it, it to It was do almost it? like I was doing it out of the joy of coding and yeah. the joy of sharing something. And cool. I wasn't trying to make money. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, I just want to put something out there. And then I was like, oh, this is going to be expensive. So I need to do something. Mm-hmm. So then I put ads on the site from Google AdSense, mm-hmm. uh, which Google just made it really easy to get ads. And I fell asleep the first night that I put ads on. And I woke up the next morning and I had $280 in revenue. All right. And <laughs> there you go. I was like, I made $280 while I was sleeping. Yeah. And then there was a feeling of like, this is temporary and it's going to go away. So then the next night I fall asleep, $240. No entrepreneur thinks like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, $240 yeah. the next night. And then the next night I wake up, $180. i am like, okay. The next night I wake up, 219 Yeah. The next day I wake up, 320 Yeah. And then I'm like... 
I don't, this could go for a while. Yeah. So then I go to ProSoft and I'm like, I quit. How could I work for $16 an hour when, yeah, yeah. when I'm sleeping, I'm making 40 or 30. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then at that point, that's when I was like, the, um, this is my path. Yeah. And the path is I'm going to leverage the internet to be able to create things that can be seen by millions of people. And th- w- what year would that have been then? That was, that was the like, high school or? No, no, no. This is college. So this college, is, earlier yeah. part of college. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're, uh, you get a taste for it. The, I, I heard in, the interesting thing though about all of this is what was the life event happen that made you get into software coding? What do you mean? Weren't you going to be like a jock? What? No. You're going to be like a sports superstar no, or something? No, no, no. That's what I was told. <laughs> By who? Who's teasing you? Who do you think? <laughs> what, <laughs> Scott? <laughs> but did, didn't something happen where you had like an injury and then you sat at a computer and started coding? Oh, because no. you couldn't Oh, that was when on? I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. That's actually, that goes back to when I was 13. And so you like, learned like software well, and coding what? and computers and... It was crazy. Like it's really, we don't understand the forks in our lives and the things that happen to us that... Um, that end up, it's a really small things on our path that can completely have huge outcomes. And when I was 13 years old, there was nothing that I was more obsessed with was was basketball and soccer. Mm -hmm. I was out on the soccer field at school one day and I was running and I could not catch my breath. Oh, okay. And I was like, and then uh, that started happening consistently. My mom brought me to the doctor and it was like, oh, you have asthma. Mm. And so it's like, now I have to carry around an inhaler and Mm -hmm. now I'm having trouble breathing. And so, like, every time I started, like, engaging in sports, I started not being able to breathe, mm-hmm. which then naturally pushed me towards uh, going onto the computer. Yeah. And so... So, that, so it's, like, very interesting because if you didn't do that, if you continued to play sports and stuff... Yeah. So you owe it all to asthma. Well, then <laughs> there's probably some, like, major moral life lesson yeah. of, like, you think that something bad is happening to you mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily bad in, yeah. the, in the larger perspective. Yeah. That's and great. We have no idea. It's almost arrogant to be like, this is a horrible thing that's happened in my life, mm-hmm. you know, in, in whatever happens, because you have no idea if it's actually a blessing in disguise. Yeah. That's so, great. Okay. So you, you get a taste early college for entrepreneurship with something you built completely solo by yourself. Yeah. And, you know, also heard that you've had some pretty serious government agency clients. Oh, my gosh. Talk to me about this. Are we going back to the hacking stuff? No, this is more like, when did this happen? Oh, yeah. The the FBI, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a couple interactions with the FBI. (laughs) Yeah. The last one was positive, and it was, uh, so I created this website that would let you check open ports, Mm -hmm. but then I started adding a lot more uh, power to these tools. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I was obsessed with was this idea of creating a mapping between an IP address and a physical location. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, if I type in your IP address of your computer, I can create a tool that will show me on Google Maps the region where your computer is. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so interesting because then you could go to a website and you could be like, where is reddit.com? Where is Mm dig.com? It's like San Jose, California. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. I'm actually sending electricity and information thousand miles away to San Jose and it's bouncing back within 200 milliseconds. And like, we're, it's like when you're sitting in a computer, there's just this abstract abstraction in a web browser. And you have no idea that your little computer is literally talking to computers all over the planet instantaneously. Mm -hmm. So I created this uh, tool called the uh, IP geolocator. 
And you would type in an IP address or a website, and it would tell you where it was. Mm-hmm. So one day I get a $5,000 donation uh, to my PayPal, and it's from the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. And I, and I get an email, mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh, some manager at the FBI, and he said, Hey, Kirk, I just wanted to thank you mm-hmm. um, because we've been using your tool to as we've been trying to find child predators, wow, we've been needing that's to know. Amazing. We need to know what jurisdiction they're in. Yeah, and so we have their IP addresses, and so we've been using your tool to identify the jurisdiction, wow. so we know where we need to go prosecute. And you didn't. That, that's just so random. Yes, and yeah. then you immediately <clears throat> validate. Yeah, everything you've been doing. Yeah, and that's that, incredible. That to me goes back just to the idea of a lot of being an entrepreneur is just showing up and building something. Mm-hmm. And it's like I had no idea that my little open port checker for Warcraft Three was going to be used mm-hmm. by like IT professionals globally. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that the FBI was going to be using my fun little tool to look up IP addresses mm-hmm. and where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, you just don't. You don't know. Yeah, I had no clue that my wallpaper website was going to get to the front page of Dig and then send millions millions of uh, visitors my way and then emancipate me from hourly wage slaves, Mm -hmm. like like wage slavery. I didn't know that. That's incredible. And so just building something and putting it out there, I think is the hard part. And Mm -hmm. and that's probably in my DNA. And, um, and then going back and attributing it back to my dad, like, I think my dad really encouraged that. And instead of getting like super upset about me port scanning 1.5 million Comcast addresses, it was like, Hey, I have your back. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool that you'd like, there was a sense of like, that's pretty cool that you did that, but also let's not get our internet canceled. Yeah. That's great. So uh, uh, now I'm picturing you as this little college boy. Yeah. And then you're, you know, obviously the big win with scan, you yeah. know, and the starting that was in a college dorm, right? Yeah. So, so are you sitting yeah. there at a computer and Garrett yeah. walks in the room and goes, hi, I'm Garrett. Yeah. What so are you ha- working on there? Yeah. So what happened is um, I was starting to feel pretty good because I was making anywhere between mm-hmm. $205, $500 a day as a college student doing nothing. In a college dorm. Yeah. 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 And That's amazing. Uh, there was also a group uh, at college called the Web Startup Group, and the Web Startup Group would talk about uh, all of the different websites and how to build websites and do all of that. So mm-hmm. I was speaking there one day, mm-hmm. and I was showing everyone graphs of like uh, the traffic coming to my website and telling the same story I'm telling you. Yeah. And Garrett, uh, Garrett G, was in that class, and he was in the industrial design program, and he had an idea because he was he was doing design uh, for the soccer team, and he had just seen this idea of QR codes, mm. and he was like putting QR codes on posters for around campus, mm. and he thought it was so cool and magical that you could hold up your phone to something and then get something digital mm-hmm. uh, on your phone, and so Garrett was like after after I presented, Garrett came to me and he's like, hey, can I come over and I just want to. I want to pitch you on an idea. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that I would do is I was always on my computer and then my girlfriend, who is now my wife at the time, would uh, would just be laying on my bed watching TV. Mm-hmm. And so Garrett came in and he had... Um, so it was you sitting in the dorm and Garrett walks in. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Garrett walks in and I'm just on the computer and then Garrett's like, let me show you this idea. Uh, and he was like, I want to create a website that lets you make QR codes. Um, and then I want to create an app that lets you scan them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that website should probably take like 20 hours. Mm-hmm. Like making and generating a QR code is not difficult. Yeah. And I was like, the thing that I'm not experienced with is building apps though. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, no worries. I found a guy named Ben Turley. And oh, ben, I've met Ben. Yeah. yeah. And Ben can code the app for us. Cool. 
And so, so you had uh, a mini team there. We had the team yeah. and I created the website and Ben created the app and mm-hmm. Garrett designed everything and we put it on the app store. And within the first week we had, we posted it. I think we had a hundred thousand installs the first week. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Well, and, I was probably one of those. Oh, really? I remember when I got my first Android phone from like my first smartphone in college Scan was one of the first apps I had got because yeah. I thought QR codes were neat. Yeah. And I had the little red icon. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And at the same time, I was taking a class by Josh Coates, which okay. is how to create a venture back startup. Awesome. So then I go to Garrett and wow, I, I go dippity. Yeah. Yeah. And then I go to Garrett and I'm like, uh, we're not making any money. Mm-hmm. We have no ads. Like mm-hmm. we just had built this yeah. and we're getting a lot of traction. Let's go see if we can raise money. It's interesting because like kind of like Josh Coates teaches me, it's like there's always going to be these steps and you just find the steps and you can reproduce them mm-hmm. uh, in whatever domain of expertise you have. So Garrett was like, one of Garrett's superpowers is just the ability to present, yeah. Uh, which is like why he's so famous on YouTube and Instagram mm-hmm. now. And so I, I was like, let's go do a bunch of business plan competitions and see how we do. So mm-hmm. we submitted ourselves to like three or four business plan competitions, mm-hmm. and uh, we had we went down to Rice University and participated in the largest business plan competition in the U.S. And uh, we won a couple awards. That's great. And then I was in line for the lunch at the event. And there was a uh, lady behind me. Her name is Rachel. And she tapped me on the shoulder and she was like, I loved your presentation. I would love to introduce you to my boyfriend who invests in companies uh, in San Francisco. I was like, got her number, like got all of that figured out. And then I was mm-hmm. like, Garrett, let's use some of the prize money to fly to San Francisco and let's meet him. Yeah. And so we ended up, um, we ended up flying out. And from that one fly out, we ended up meeting maybe like five different investors mm. and we showed them what we had and, uh, and, what, and what we were college building. kids. Yeah. 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 So that's like thinking about, um, the, that experience at that age yeah. is crazy. Yeah. And a critical person that we met is we got, uh, we met this uh, guy named Ariel Puller mm-hmm. and Ariel, uh, was just kind of like a legend in San Francisco for like finding and backing seed stage, seed stage startups. Mm-hmm. I remember like uh, we had no idea, like even though I was taking Josh's class, we had no idea on like how to ask for investment money. And so mm-hmm. we met with Ariel and I was like, we're thinking about raising $500,000. Would you like to invest $500,000 into our company? Mm-hmm. Like not knowing, like, is he a billionaire? Like how I don't know how much money this is to him. Like, mm-hmm. well, I don't even know the right words or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, um, I think that $500,000 is not enough for you guys. Mm-hmm. I think that you guys need to raise $2 million. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, that's not how it works. Like, I'll probably put $100,000 in yeah. as an angel check. Yeah, and, and he then sets I'll, your valuation. Yeah, and and yeah. then I'll get you introduced to uh, VCs that you can go meet. And, uh, and then you can see if they'll put in a larger amount of money. Mm-hmm. And so then we just followed that formula. We met with 40 different VCs. Uh, we got rejected by 30 of them. 10 mm-hmm. of them were in. Wow. It's just a numbers game. That's a, that's a good... You know, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's a good ratio. Yeah. Yeah. And then you end up getting to the point where you're like, you actually have more VCs that want to invest in you versus the amount of capital you can actually take on. Mm -hmm. And then that was like created a little bit of heartbreaking moment where we had to call VCs that believed in us and wanted to give us money, but then we couldn't take their money. Mm -hmm. And we'd have to say, even, you know, even though you love us and believe in us, like we Mm -hmm. have to say no because we're taking these terms from this other company. And then that set us off on the races Mm -hmm. of building scan. So still in college, what, junior year? This was, so then we dropped out. Okay. Yeah. So you're a dropout too. Yeah. 
Great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we dropped out, Garrett, um, <laughs> and we dropped out, but it was like a soft dropout. It was like, oh, we're still going to like try to take classes and still graduate. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, how much detail do you want on the scan story? Because I can go. I mean, I'd love to, because this, this stuff that's super interesting here is you're solo, right? At the beginning, yeah. you know, making stuff on your own. Then you Then you partner up with like other skill sets yeah, and you're building with other skill sets. And then the three of you working and learning together on the other side of founding a business with funding and becoming more of a sophisticated company and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I think it's, that's meaty stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so you guys are funded. Yeah. Then you know, we made some, you, then, you guys we, are like, all right, we got to drop out of college. Yeah. And then we made some tragic mistakes. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I was going to say, when you have that much capital at well, the that first thing, age, the first thing know? that was weird to me is this idea of, I created the bank account mm-hmm. uh, and then I gave the uh, wire instructions for uh, all, you know, for the investors and for our law firm to be able to send us the money. Mm-hmm. And then one day I opened up my Wells Fargo and we had $2 million in yeah. there. And I remember just starkly remembering this is my, like, I just created this bank account. There is no oversight. Mm-hmm. There, like, this is just now money. And there is nobody who is responsible for this money except for us. Yeah. And it was almost like, you know, as a student, you're almost like, oh, like, surely someone's going to be, it's like, no, the lawyers aren't in charge of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Josh Coates and our mentors aren't in charge of it. Mm-hmm. And we can literally do whatever we want with this money. Mm. And that was like a little bit of a responsibility of like, oh, this is like, we can literally do whatever we want. We can mm-hmm. spend it on anything that we want to spend it on. And mm. it's, and that's the trust that the investors have given us. It's crazy. So we all moved to San Francisco. We got like a, an office, like right in the, you know, right in the center of the startup action. Mm-hmm. And then we hired like 10 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we found ourselves 12 months later with 300K in the bank account. I was going to say, that's, that's <laughs> the burn rate sounds interesting there. No plan for revenue yet? or Well, at that point, we had around 40 million installs of our app. Yeah, wow. But, yeah, but we had no path to revenue. Wow. And so I remember sitting... So there, that wasn't even part of your pitch of how you're going to make money off of it? All that all that the VCs cared about was the fact that we were getting millions of installs so data a week. And, yeah, yeah user it was base. like, you're going to yeah. do something. Yeah. And I think that's how VCs pattern match. They're like, we don't give a crap about revenue. Yeah. We don't care if you're trying to make... In fact, I remember Ariel specifically saying, do not monetize. Oh. You want as many users as possible yeah. and you want volume and scale and you want to grow that as big as you can before mm-hmm. you monetize. It's so different now. Like in current day and age, it's so different now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in some ways, but yeah. I still think that there's a foundational principle, which is don't put a paywall between you and your users. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, like get as much scale as possible and let VCs fund that. Sure. And, and I think that you see that maybe with how DoorDash worked, yeah. where it was like, oh, we're going to actually like, they we're going to be it a lot or grow at a loss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even Twitter. Yeah. Like, and these large social media companies, a lot of them still have yet to turn a, a profit. Like, mm-hmm. they're still funded off of the initial, uh, you know, venture or even public markets that mm-hmm. are funding them. Mm-hmm. And then you're just getting to a scale. And once you're at a scale, like, I remember that at Snapchat, like, um, and not to jump ahead, but mm-hmm. at Snapchat, when we were bought by them, uh, it was like year three of their company's existence. They, said that they had a $9 billion valuation and they had 5 million in revenue. Yeah. 
Dude, but they had. I don't get it. But they had a hundred million. Too tangible. They had a hundred million daily active users. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, crazy. We kind of had this like really hard conversation, and I called Garrett and Ben, and I was like, "You guys, we can make payroll for like four more months. We are screwed. Yeah, and we either need to go raise more money." Mm-hmm. Um, and keep the party going, or mm-hmm. we need to monetize. And I see no path to monetization from mm-hmm. where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, uh, and our only other option is we need to basically shut the company down or, yeah. or shrink as small or, as we yeah, get, can. Yeah, get rid of the burn rate yeah. and move back to Utah. Yep. And yeah. so um, what we decided was we were going to let everyone on the team go, which was like, that sucked. Oh, yeah. So we let go of like uh, our 11 employees, uh, with except for the first engineer that we hired, who's my close friend, Cam. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we let go of everyone and we said, okay, what, like, we're going to make this 400K last and we got to figure this out. Two weeks later, after we fire everybody, I had been in a email thread with uh, the head of the Google Play Store for like six months, mm-hmm. and I was harassing the crap out of him. And we had built our Android app, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I was trying to get us featured on the Google Play Store. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, I get an email: "Hey, we're going to feature you for seven days on the Google Play Store." Um, wow! And maybe that's when I downloaded it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Incredible! I have no idea what's going to happen." And mm-hmm. we had just got our app uh, out there. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we'd done is my dad had told me to localize it into like ten different languages, which at the time you'd think would be a waste of time. But it was mm-hmm. like, oh, let's just do it anyways." Well, yeah. that made us eligible for an international feature mm-hmm. on the Google Play Store. Wow! Yeah. And when that feature launched, we got several million downloads a day for seven days straight. That's incredible on yeah. Android which we had no, like we had maybe like 50,000 downloads to start yeah. with. And one of the principles that Josh Coates taught me is anytime you have a J-curve in your business, you can use that to go raise money. Yeah, so perfect I, timing. So I pull up the graph and I'm like, Garrett, here is our curve for installs on Android. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we ended up getting 2 million installs a day. And then after that, we were getting a baseline of like 100,000 installs a day, mm-hmm. which is massive, yep. massive downloads. Yeah, and that's sustainable yeah. at that point. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. I'm like, Garrett, now is the time for us to go raise money. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to use this graph to go do it. Mm-hmm. And so we went on the tour again. We visited with a bunch of new VCs. And then next thing you know, we closed around for like $6.5 million. Mm-hmm. Still in San Francisco area. Uh, well, this our, our lead investor was, uh, was in Israel. Okay. And so uh, his name is Avi, and he now mm-hmm. runs a venture capital firm called Entree Capital. Okay. Which, yeah. and Avi is just like such a badass. Yeah. And like he kind of, uh, he took this, he took a board seat and took a really intimate role in the company. Yeah. And would fly out from Israel once a quarter for uh, to help us. Cool. And, um, and so we cranked for about a year, like we raised that 6.5 million. And then a, about a year later, we had now we were at over 120 million installs. Uh, we had 120 million installs. Yeah, yeah. Is this after Shark Tank then? Yeah, this is like we got on Shark Tank. We yeah. started doing a bunch of stuff, and then we carefully hired. So the, the, I remember when because Garrett got ripped up on Shark Tank. Yeah, Garrett you went know on Shark I've Tank. Been on Shark Tank, right? Are you serious? I, I for which product? For Dry. Are you serious? Yeah, and I got a deal, and they never aired it. Oh, really? Did I'm you pissed. take the money? No, no, of okay, course yeah, not. Yeah, no, yeah. it was expensive money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we want half through, of your company for we twenty. We had to go grand. through the whole process, yeah. you know, and it was and it sucks because it was yeah. Kelsey and my my wife yeah. and I. I had tried to convince Garrett, and I was like, Ben and I decided, like the three of us talked, and we we're like, do we all want to go or do we just want to let Garrett do his thing? And my conclusion was like, 
I'm not that great at presenting. So I was like, let's let Garrett go do his mm-hmm. thing and um, let's just coach him and get him prepped. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then one of my ideas that I had is I was like, Garrett, what if we flipped it on them? And instead of, uh, instead of taking money from them, we offered uh, only one of the sharks, 1% of the company as an advisor fee. And you were going to pick which one and have them sell themselves to us. Mm. And I was like, what if we flipped it on them? And Garrett was like, ooh, I could maybe do that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when they were prepping for the show, they were like, this is the exact formula that you follow when you're on the show. Mm-hmm. Did they do that with you? Kind of. I think, I, I mean, this is season, I was on season 11. So I think, you know, things had changed a lot for the show by yeah. then, you know. Yeah. But there's definitely like, yeah, they help <clears throat> help you formulate the pitch. They yeah. help you, they they tell you what they like and what they don't like and kind of prep you from that sense. So yeah. you go in and, you know, like they want you to negotiate back and they yeah. want you to push on it, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. So, but so if I could go back in time, I would have pushed harder on Garrett to do that, but the, I think it would have made good TV. Yeah. But the issue, the issue with that was, is that we were concerned about not being aired mm-hmm. and we Which wanted sucks, to be aired. Did not yeah. get aired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so before we aired, I like one of the things that I was like, okay, so then we went to shark tank and it all got filmed. And then about like three months later, we were like, oh, we're, we're episodes actually going to air. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's create a paid version of our app that has a couple new features right before it airs. There we go. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we did that. And we launched on the paid side of the app stores and uh, for like $2 or something. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening is our episode aired and we like made 250K in revenue. Okay. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Just, it was like Shark Tank ended up being incredible well, the exposure. First, the first line of revenue on QuickBooks at that point. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. We should probably yeah. get QuickBooks now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So... I'll tell the story of Scan Ac- Ac- Scan's acquisition, which is I like maybe the most fun part. What's the time frame of all of this scan though? Is is this like a five year period then, or something? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. That's mm-hmm. quick. Yep. So it was like we raised money, and then we uh, ended up like blowing through our first round of funding within mm-hmm. the first twelve months, and then mm-hmm. uh, maybe twelve to eighteen months, and then we went and raised uh, the six point five million. Mm-hmm. And At that point, were you back to Utah? Did you? Mm-hmm. We all so, moved back yeah. to Utah to save money, and Avi didn't care if we were in Utah or San yeah. Francisco. It didn't matter to him. Yeah, and we had enough like install that it was like we're going to figure out how to monetize this. Yep, and like we'll make a business out of this thing. Mm-hmm. And Ariel connects us with Yelp. Yeah, Ariel connects mm-hmm. us to Yelp. Mm-hmm. Yelp is very interested in acquiring us because they want to create a QR code type solution for when you visit a storefront. So they've seen you as data play and technology then, the scanning technology. Yep. So that's cool. Yep. So Ariel connects us to Yelp and uh, and Ariel's like, this is going to be, you're going to meet with their head of M&A. Mm-hmm. And so I call Garrett and I'm like, hey, we may be able to sell this company. Are you? Do you want to sell it? And Garrett's like, I'm open to whatever. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. let me book tickets. Let's go out to San Francisco and let's meet with Yelp and see if, uh, see if they're interested. Mm-hmm. Then Sunday night, Garrett's... Uh, Garrett sends me a text. He's like, I can't come tomorrow. And I was so pissed off at him. Well, why? Why couldn't he He come? didn't tell me. <laughs> he never told you. Yeah, he's like, I just can't come tomorrow. You're going to have to do without me. Oh. I'm like, what? Like, Damn. And when, you're, and when you're partners with someone, it's basically like you're married. And so yeah. it was just like really frustrating. Yeah. I was like, what? And I didn't even ask him why. Yeah. Just the fact that he's- You were he, focused on that meeting. Just the fact that he said he couldn't make it was yeah. like super frustrating. Yeah. And then I'm in the meeting. Just you or did just you bring me. Ben? Just so me. you went solo? Yeah, I just went solo. And so I'm in the meeting and I'm presenting and the Yelp guy is like, um, we can buy you right now. No questions, no fuss, no nothing for $30 million. Mm-hmm. 
that's like, I don't even need board approval. Yeah. Like that's like not a significant amount to us. Yeah. And we want to bring your team in and we want to use like, um, and we want to integrate your technology and, and have your team come in and do all of this for us. And while he's saying this, I'm like, ah, yeah. oh my gosh, that's yeah. so much. Like, you know, I'm freaking yeah. out. I'm yeah. like, I do not have the composure to keep a poker face here. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm too little. I'm like, yeah. like this money is too much for me. Uh, how old are you at that point? I'm like, like 27 or something. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's tough. At that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Garrett is calling me mm. the whole meeting long. Mm-hmm. Bzz, bzz, can you zoom like, me silence. in? Can I? Can you pull me up on the screen? <laughs> <laughs> bzz, bzz. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is so annoying. You're supposed to be in this meeting with me. Mm-hmm. Here I am. So we end up having the meeting, and I'm like, I don't commit to. I'm like, I need to talk to Garrett, and I need to talk to Ben, and mm-hmm. I need to talk to our investors. But we're definitely interested. So then I call Garrett afterwards, and I'm like, dude, uh, we just got offered thirty million dollars for our company. Where are you? And he's like, I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to distract you, but I just finished walking on uh, the beach with Evan Spiegel. Mm. Like, who's Evan Spiegel? Yeah. He's like, Evan Spiegel is the uh, creator of Snapchat. So, w- w- so he was in California. Though. He was in LA. And he yeah. didn't tell you that either? No. And, no. <laughs> and then uh, he was like, I am not kidding. Evan just offered to buy our company too. Wow. And he wants to integrate us into the Snapchat app. Because yeah. Snapchat opens to the camera first. Yeah. And Evan had just been to China and yeah. had saw everyone using QR oh, yeah. codes in China. Yeah. Like WeChat and everything. Exactly. I mean, that's and how you pay at yeah, restaurants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And he was like, Evan wants us too. And I'm like, you're completely forgiven. <laughs> you're completely <laughs> forgiven for not telling me yeah. what you were doing or you're whatever. You're like a bidding war then. Exactly. Yeah. So we had a little bit of a bidding war between uh, us and, uh, or between Yelp and, for, and between Snapchat. It's not a bad place to be. Yeah. So I flew out. Uh, so we all flew out to meet Evan mm-hmm. and Evan was young. Evan was like 24. Yeah. He, and, did he own the Ferrari yet? No. I heard he bought a Ferrari with venture capital money. Oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah Evan was super young younger mm-hmm. than us. Mm-hmm. And I think there there was, at the time, there was about 50 employees at Snapchat. Yeah, but they were crushing it. Right? Oh, the like, DA, like they yeah. were adding millions of users yeah. every week yeah. uh, that were sticky and using it, using mm-hmm. the app. And I met Evan, and just in my first meeting with Evan, I was like, it will be so freaking fun to work for him. Mm-hmm. Like there's just a completely different energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then his whole, like he had, it was just, it was like, pretty pretty gross as far as like private chef like <laughs> you know like at morning uh breakfast lunch and dinner is wow. all prepared for wow. you anything that you want expense anything yeah. like have whatever you want and uh as it was just like um there was just a massive abundance mindset at mm-hmm. Snapchat of mm-hmm. like we are going to take over the world yeah and i remember that being so attractive and uh, the versus pop- Yelp is like, yeah, take a picture of your food and yeah. give us a five star review. Exactly, yeah. exactly. We we start diving into it, and I start we start modeling what it looks like for our company to be acquired. Mm-hmm. And Avi had not screwed us, but Avi had put a term in his investment in us, mm. uh, and he put in a term uh, which I did not do enough studying in my. BYU class with Josh Coates. Yeah. And it was a what's called a 3x liquidation preference. Mm. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. I mean, high level. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. the three. Damn. <laughs> yeah. So the 3x liquidation preference says if you sell the company, 
at a minimum, mm-hmm. I get three X my money first yeah, before, before anyone else, else yeah. gets anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So that's pretty. So you're doing the math then and so trying do, to figure out how to structure <clears throat> the deal around that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we. So what valuation did he come in at then? 20 million. Okay. So you, you need like 60 yep. minimum. We needed $54 million. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we go and uh, uh, we go back and forth between Yelp and uh, between Evan and we get Evan to uh, $49 million is what Evan mm-hmm. is willing to do. Mm-hmm. Two thirds stock, one third cash. Oof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On a 9 billion funny money valuation. Mm-hmm. And pre IPO. Yeah, pre IPO, yeah. like years before IPO. Mm-hmm. And then we have Yelp that dropped out at like 44 million or something yeah. like that. And then I was like, so Your eggs are in that basket. Yeah. And then it was like, <laughs> Okay, Garrett, how are we going to do this? Like, Garrett, we need to sell to Evan for $54 million. And I think that we're out of negotiation ammo on our side. Mm-hmm. And so I start brainstorming and I'm like, okay, here's everything I know about Evan and here's everything I know about Garrett. And Garrett was kind of like leading that relationship. I was managing the Yelp side. He was managing the Snapchat side. Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, I think that Evan is a freaking psycho. Like he is a young kid and he does not care about money or anything. Mm-hmm. And so I think that he's just like, he's just in that world of, uh, of anything goes with mm-hmm. him. But I'm like, we need something to barter with. And, uh, and the thing that I knew about Evan is he wanted speed. He wanted quick what yep. mattered to him the most. Yeah, I want to get the deal done. I want you guys here. I want it. I want you working now. Yeah. So I was like, Garrett, can I propose something for you to propose to Evan? And he's like, hit me. And I'm like, okay. So right now you're a senior at BYU. He had got started uh, like he had gone he back to back, BYU right? because he wanted to play soccer. Oh, I remember. You're that. the captain of yeah. the soccer team. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that is a precious life experience. Can we use this for bartering? And I said, can you call Evan and say, I'm the captain of the soccer team in my senior year. I am willing to leave the soccer team immediately, Mm -hmm. not finish my year, fly to LA and work for Snapchat and bring my whole team out if you agree to sell to us for $54 million. Mm -hmm. Five million more than we last talked about. And then Garrett just paused and he was like, what if he says yes, then I'll have to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, is the last two, two months of your soccer season worth $5 million? And he's like, and I'm like, you just have to do it. Like you have to do it. It's not worth like, that is an obvious trade. Yeah. Like just trade it. It's a good hourly rate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then Garrett, uh, so then I hang up and then Garrett calls me back five minutes later. He's like, Evan said yes. And we're flying out next week. Wow. Do you take you in a jet? No, we just flew out Southwest or whatever. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's so, like, I, that, like th- this is uh, from the first conversation with Yelp to that. What was that time frame? Oh, like three weeks. That's crazy. Yeah. So very intense three weeks. Oh, so intense. Not it's even like, paying attention to the app. Yeah, what app? All of the legal calls and all yeah. that. And then I remember like our lawyer, it was like the bill from the acquisition lawyer was $450,000. Wow. And it's just like, oh my. Damn. Yeah. It's just <laughs> like, oh, there's a lot. It's like, yeah. And that's the thing is that when you're going to sell a company and you're engaging in one of these large transactions, like yeah. everything is in the air and money yeah. and capital and all of that start getting really Yeah. What loose. if it fell through? 
What's that? What if it fell through? It would have just been heartbreaking yeah. and devastating. And like so there goes all your your liquid capital at the time, and the yeah. you know that's yeah. intense. But that's that, great. But that was one thing that Josh Coates did teach us, which is if you're in talks of getting acquired, don't talk to anyone on your team about it. Yeah, because it's too much of an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Just keep it amongst the. I mean, I watched Scott go through it with Armrack. Obviously, a much smaller deal, but yeah. I remember. He didn't, he didn't talk about it that much, you yeah. know, but one time him and I were at a Taco Bell, the one that's right out here, actually driving yeah. through the drive through And he, he told me about the whole thing. And, um, that was the day I was like, then I'm quitting and starting my company. Yeah. Give me some of that money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he did. Yeah, he did. And he backed you. Yeah. And now we're here, which is yeah. incredible. But that's, that's a awesome yeah. chain of events. Yeah. So the deal closes and there it is. Kirk, incredible brain, and we're only halfway there. See, there's already a lot at the very beginning of his entrepreneurial journey and you know, learning how to be a software developer and realizing that he could make whatever he wants and then finding out how to make money with it and then building something extremely sophisticated that has demand from a large company like Snapchat. It's pretty incredible. After part two, we'll do a large summary of all the takeaways because there's a lot here and they all kind of tie together where you hear about him in the early days and then how he's applied what he learned in the early days to the later days. And then also what he's reapplying to his new business that we're working on now. And you're going to hear more about that in next week's episode. It's going to start right out with how the buyout went with Scan. You know, every, every entrepreneur dreams of their first exit. And to hear about that story was exciting, you know, to hear the back and forth and so on and so forth. So just pay attention, be here next week. It's a great story. That being said, you know, instead of field notes, I'd like to tell everybody a little bit more about what I do, you know, cause what's the point of this podcast? And I figured why not do a little bit of introduction to one of my companies, Klugonics Group, and how I've worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs in building consumer products. The company consists of industrial designers, engineers here, project managers, account managers, all local here in Utah. And then in China, I have another office where we have the project managers, sourcing team, we have quality control team, and you know, the executive team over there that runs that side of the business. And we help companies, you know, design a product, engineer it, prototype it, find the right manufacturing and build their supply chain out and help you manage your whole manufacturing process and even help you get it on a container and on a boat and to the States. And we've made hundreds and hundreds of products with our systems and processes and we're growing. And at the end of the day, it's just what I love to do. And I've surrounded myself with other people that love to do it. And we just love to create with you. So hit us up, klugonics.com. Love to help you make your next product. 